Hello, and welcome to On the Brighter Side. I'm your host, Monica Tanner, and I'm so excited about our guest today. He's from my home state of Texas, and he is a pastor. And today we're going to talk about two very important subjects, which are second marriages and blended families. Please help me welcome my guest, Brandon Cunningham. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. I wonder if you'd start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, I grew up in North Texas, near you, and I moved down to Corpus Christi, Texas about 25 years ago. And I came here for the college and uh, just loved it and stayed and uh, raised five kids that have all graduated high school. The last one just graduated in May. So my wife and I have grandchildren and another grandchildren child on the way. And we pastor a church in uh, Flyer Bluff, just right outside of Corpus Christi and just live a great life. That's amazing. So you're a pastor, you mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit about your ministry? We have a church here in Flyer Bluff. It, we, we average about 250 people a weekend. It's non-denominational. It's very relaxed and open. And we just basically welcome everybody. We have a great children's ministry and a student ministry that's growing. And it is just a mixture of what we like to call the weird and wounded. and <laughs> uh, we just love the different people that are here. And I came here about five years ago and the senior pastor had planted this church about 10 or 12 years ago. And so I came on board with him and we've just been growing it and watching God do great things here. How wonderful. So as you know, we just finished up the Epic Marriage Summit. And I realized after getting a couple emails that we didn't really address second marriages or blended families very well. I'm always trying new things and learning as I go. So I'll definitely do better next year at including more a more diverse selection of speakers. But I wanted to invite you on the show today to talk about your experience with a second marriage and blending a family. It is probably the most fun thing you can ever do. There are no roadblocks. It's it, it's easy and everything else. No, it, it has very special challenges. We've been married for 12 years and she had two sons and I had two sons and a daughter. So blending that five into a, a home environment was shaky at best, probably at times, but all the different aspects of that. I do a lot of counseling premarital and, and some as people are married. And I always tell them, you know, one of the key factors in blending a family is communication. You got to be on the same page as far as discipline, money, faith, what, where you're going to live, school, how you just handle everyday tasks. You know, am I allowed to tell the kids stuff? Or are you allowed to tell the kids stuff? And then you add in two other adults, whoever the other parents are, they have input in some way and every relationship is different, but we had some good input, some not so good input sometimes, but it presents extra things that people don't necessarily expect or anticipate in their marriage because they think, well, I'm going to be able to say what happens and what doesn't happen, but it affects graduations, weddings, births, school events, open houses, sporting events, hospital stays, emergency room visits with four boys. We went to the emergency room quite a bit. So, <laughs> you know, you just have to incorporate all of those things. One rule we had from the very, very beginning was we didn't want to expose the kids to each other until we knew we really wanted to be married and, and we're starting this. I tell people who date 
with kids is don't bring your kids into that dating relationship until you're sure because they don't need to see this person that's going to be here today and maybe gone the next and they certainly don't need to have you move in and then move out and all that kind of stuff so they need consistency so one rule we had from the very beginning was that the second rule we've had and and we still to this day hold to this one is we don't talk bad about the other parents because ultimately that's your mom or your dad and you don't want me to say something bad even if it's true (laughs) they don't want to hear it (laughs) so they expect the best out of their parents and you'll hear bad things about maybe you or something like that but you never contribute to that and that will help you in the long run doesn't pay off much in the beginning but it does pay off in the long run yeah absolutely so in the beginning you mentioned these how important communication was about these really important topics. Did you have all of those conversations before you decided to get married or was it kind of a learn as you go type process? I would say some of them we had before we got married because we knew that there would be special circumstances. Her two boys were really close to their dad. My kids were close to their mom. So it's like we wanted to make sure we weren't using words like, you know, we want you to call her mom or call me dad or, you know, we didn't want to force any of that stuff. But we also wanted to give them a voice that, you know, these are things that we're thinking. So as we got closer to getting married, we included them on that because the two oldest boys are just a few months apart and the and the two middle boys are a few months apart. So they would be in the same grade, most of the same teams, the same events. So how they interacted was going to be vital. And we wanted to make sure they had some input on how that was going to work, who shares a room with who and that kind of stuff. And discipline, because, you know, are you the kind that says bedtime's at seven o'clock and I'm the kind that say bedtime's at 10 o'clock. You have to work a lot of that stuff out ahead of time because I joke around a lot like you know there, there's two of us and there's five of them and they're <laughs> when they're young they're little terrorists and if they sense weakness they will take over so you have to give them input but ultimately you have to make the decision and this is what we're going to do and all rules have to apply to all people you can't have special rules for special situations necessarily so that was really important with discipline and curfews and all that kind of stuff yeah this is hitting so close to home for me because I grew up in a blended family as well. My parents divorced when I was 12 and then my dad was remarried by the time I was 13 or 14. And same thing, she had two daughters and we had me and my younger brother. And so there was four of us and we were all very similar in age within about three years, all of us. So yeah, it definitely posed some interesting challenges and we could definitely sense weakness if there was dissension in the ranks. We knew how to find that. So yeah, you bring up some really interesting points, but do you have any advice for people getting married for the second time on how to avoid some of the maybe common pitfalls? I would say have those conversations individually first, just like what you said. What's your past experience? You know, I grew up kind of like you did. My parents got a divorce. My younger stepbrother got special treatment on almost everything because he was about three years younger than me. And so he got some benefits or perks that I didn't get. But if you have those conversations up front, then when you go to the kids, you can present that united front. I'm very big on no eating in the bedroom. Well, it turns out my wife was too. So that was kind of an easy one. Another thing that we kind of didn't think was that big a deal was some of the times they would want to stay out a little bit later with a friend or something like that. I was a little bit more open to that. She was a little less so. So we had to kind of balance that out. What's going to be our rule? The other thing that I would say is make a plan ahead of time for vacations and weekends away and stuff like that, because 
the other parent has so much input as, you know, they can either get sick or they can get mad or things happen in life. And if we're all planning to go out of town on a Saturday and the other parent blows that up, how are you going to deal with it? Because that happens. It, it happened to us a few times. So we kind of created this thing, this rule basically of when we plan something, we're going to go. And if all the kids get to go, great. If none of the kids get to go, that's okay too. But we're not going to change plans for one kid or two kids. We're just going to, mostly because they need that consistency. We said we were going to Six Flags. We're all going to Six Flags. I'm sorry this happened or this event or your mom wants you to go to that. But as a family, we're going to do that. We're going to eat dinner together. We're going to go places. And that way you have some of that stuff kind of mapped out ahead of time because other things will happen you don't expect. You know, when kid breaks his leg and you got to go to the emergency room, who can go in the emergency room with them? You know, does, does stepmom okay in there? Does stepdad okay in there? And, and have those conversations. In a contentious divorce, those are hard. But if you try to have them ahead of time, at least you have something going into the situation. Interesting. Interesting. Any blessings or, or gifts you realized in your second marriage that maybe weren't so obvious in your first? Oh, wow. That, that one is a great question because one of the things I realized was in my first marriage, we were really too young to be married. We didn't realize how much the, the love and fun and dating and all that kind of stuff is not going to carry you through for years and years, especially as kids get older and, and you get older and all of that. So I think the wisdom of just having conversations ahead of time, what I call unspoken expectations. If I expect you to do a certain thing, but I don't tell you, you're always going to disappoint me because you think you're doing the right thing. It's kind of along the lines of the love languages. If if you think I want gifts, but I don't, then you're always a disappointment to me. So I think in my second marriage, the biggest blessing was just realizing her expectations are what I need to meet not my expectations for her. And especially with the, the the boys, her two boys, one thing we do is we don't call them hers or mine. We just call them our children unless they're acting up and they're bad. And then we usually say, well, that's yours and, and we trade them off. <laughs> but we just always treated them as one, you know, and we talk a lot about family is what you make it, not blood or DNA and all of that kind of stuff. There are people in your family that you don't really maybe want in your family. And there are people that biologically aren't link that you want in there and and just to provide that consistency and the calmness of a home because ultimately the kids are in chaos all the time at school or in life with their friends and all that kind of stuff they need to know you're going to be the same and you're going to be consistent and they can always come home no matter what. Yeah, that's so true. So, how do you address the challenge of your spouse's children feeling like you don't have any authority over them because you're not their dad or you're not my real mom or that's a big one that that shows up almost in the first 10 minutes I would think obviously when we had decided we were getting married and we started to blend the families and go to events together and stuff like that we talked a lot about that if you're going to be with us then we both may or may not say something about your behavior or something you want to do or permission. And sometimes they would want to call mom because they didn't want to ask my permission or their father actually at the time was like, you don't have to ask him anything. You can do whatever you want. And I'm the only one that you have to answer to. Sounds good from his perspective, but it gave the boys a a very chaotic view of life. It's like, there's some rules I have to follow and other rules I don't have to follow. And so we just set everybody down 
down and said, listen, there's going to be things your dad and your mom don't agree with. And we're okay with that. But in this home, this is the way we're going to do it. And we realized too, that whenever she disciplines or I disciplined, we had to support each other. Even if we were terribly you know, upset about what happened where we will discuss that privately, but I'm never going to in front of them say you did something wrong. We're going to go off and discuss that. And that shows them your united front. And it also ultimately what they found out, and my kids are older now, they're 25 down to 18. They'll tell you that what they found out was they knew we were going to be consistent. I know that's a word I've used a lot, but that's really what they want because kids want you to be in charge and you to take care of things. They don't want to be the ones in charge. They don't want to be your friends. They only have one set of parents, sometimes two, but they don't need more friends. They need parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what tips or tricks did you learn, maybe even the hard way, about making the transition back and forth from the other their house back to yours? Like, how did you make that transition more smooth for those kids? One thing that we, I, having grown up in this, I would pack a bag and go to my dad's every weekend. And as I got older, my friends wanted to do things, but I was at my dad's. And then the friends I made at my dad's house during the week, I wasn't there. So I, I was missing out on some of those opportunities. So I would say one thing that we learned was be a little bit more flexible with that kind of stuff. Normally there's a, some sort of legal document that says the kids need to be here, here, and here at this time and that time. Be flexible with that, even if it means you lose, because sometimes the kids will gain with that. If they're not held to whatever agreement you and the court has come up with, be flexible in their friendships and relationships, especially as they get older. And another one that's kind of hard for people, and I didn't have this growing up because we didn't have enough money for it really, but try to provide as much stuff, clothing and things at your house so they're not packing up and moving back and forth every weekend. Because a lot of us that travel are like, you know, you get really sick of packing your bag and unpacking your bag. And then it turns out, well, you left your sweater at dad's or you left your favorite toy or a charger or something at mom's. Go get it. Get in the car. If, if at all possible, just go get it. Because technically it's, it's your fault or the other parent's fault that they're having to do this. It's not their fault. You want to teach them responsibility and all that kind of stuff. But initially, Cut them some slack in that because they're literally moving in and out of a house every other week or every weekend or whatever it is. And so having clothing that they can wear to school and and that kind of thing and all their stuff that you can afford to buy, put in both houses as best you can. Because this happened because of you or the other parent. It wasn't their fault. And we tend to want to tell kids, you know, this wasn't your fault. We're not blaming you. But they're like, but I'm being punished. You know, I'm the one that's working so hard. You get to live here seven days a week. I have to live here two days and go back and forth. Yeah. I love how you're so conscious of what the kids are going through because it is really difficult. I mean, their center of their anchor, you know, is now divided. And so it's really awesome that you were so conscious of what they were going through in that. Any advice on how to get through the really challenging times and not let them tear you apart. The key is, and I know this is a very pastoral thing to say, but communicate and pray together. It drives me crazy to find the couples that don't pray together. And I know everybody has their faith and their relationship, and it doesn't have to be a great prayer. It just needs to be a time to pray together and understand that if God's not at the center of this, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to power through it, work harder, wish more or or yell louder to get through this. You've got to be with each other and, and praying through it is the best way for you two to connect 
and remind each other and remind God that you're all in this together. The, the goal is to raise the best humans you can and not necessarily presidents and CEOs and doctors and all that, but just the best humans you can. And, and that's not going to work if you're fighting about that. They, for whatever reason, have seen a marriage break up. So try your very best to make this marriage work and always knowing that divorce is off the table. We said that early on that if we get married, it's for life. I'm not going through this again. I don't want to put my kids through this again. And I really want to show them that, yes, whatever happened before may have been a mistake and, and, and you can sort that out however you want to. But this one, I'm going to make work. And so you can rebound from a bad situation and make something really great out of it. In fact, our uh, one of our sons just got married in June, and he made the comment that he wants to be the first one to never get a divorce in our family. And I said, that'd be great. You, you start that. I want to see that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what blessings, you're coming from an, a different perspective now as all of your kids are, are mostly grown and out of the house. What blessings have you seen from all of the hard work of blending and making everything worth the effort? I think the way they treat other people is the the thing that my wife and I really point to is they understand the concept that we can be family regardless of what your last name is or how you got here. That we, we really want to love the people that we have with us now. We don't worry a lot about, well, you know, you're going to be here for a week, a month, six months, maybe a year. We live in a, a town that's got a Navy base. So people are moving constantly. So some relationships last forever and some of them are last for a season. And all of our kids have kind of identified that, pointed to that as something they've learned as people have kind of moved in and out of our lives over the last, especially 12 years of marriage, that you treat everybody like they're part of the family. Just make your home something people can come to. And our oldest son actually has his sister sister-in-law and her three kids living with him right now. And it's a little stressful. They have a little small place, but he understands the importance of that. She needs the help right now. So he's helping. And even though ideally it's not that comfortable, he's putting that effort into it. So that that's one of the biggest, I think, blessings that we've seen from it. Your last name and how you got here is not as important as just you. Yeah. That's what we do for family. I like that. So if you could have the undivided attention of all the blended families in all the world for just a few minutes, what do you think would be the most important or impactful thing that you could teach them? Don't talk bad about the other parent. I just, I cannot overstate how profound that's been because regardless of what's said about you, you will always be able to look at them and say, I never said anything about your father or your mother. You didn't hear that in this house. I know the others said things about us and that was hurtful and, and all of that. But deep down, you know, you never heard that from me. And if you can pull that off, and I, I know there's sometimes when you really want to say something bad about the other spouse, and I'm not saying don't ever do it, just do it in private, <laughs> but never in front of the kids. Because I always pointed out, you know, there, there's people out there that their dad or mom was a terrible human being, did terrible, terrible things. It's not their fault, but they also still love them as mom or dad. 
that. And as flawed as we are as, as parents, our kids still want to know that we're great and that, that we're their dad or their mom. And so there's no benefit whatsoever in you tearing them down. Or And some people think, well, I'm, I just want to tell them the truth. Well, the kids don't need the truth. They'll find out the truth. You know, my dad growing up was like almost seven feet tall and could, you know, knock down walls. And then I got older and I found out he was only about 5'10 and he really wasn't that strong. But to me, he was a superhero. And so the truth of how he lived was probably a lot different than what I thought, but I didn't need that as a kid. You, you find out who your parents are eventually and, and you will process that. You don't need somebody else telling you that. The other thing I would throw in there is don't involve the kids until you know what you're doing. You know, don't date your kids with you. There's just no need for that. Now, if you and I are going to go on a date, I want you to know I have kids, but I want I want you to know up front, they're not going to be a part of this relationship until you and I decide that. But a first date, a 10th date, that's not the time to do any of that. Yeah, so important. So now let's talk about the fun stuff. What's your favorite part about being a grandpa? That is the best thing ever. I would I would if I still had the attention of all the blended families, I'd say you're going to you're going to go through the hardest thing you've ever gone through, but the reward is the greatest thing ever because when they run at you or they want to uh, climb out the window to get to you in the car, then that is just the best thing ever. And there there's differences there because especially like with our oldest son, when he had a, a baby, his father was there. And so there's some concern over who's going to call who, what, and all of that kind of thing. But we just tried to love them as much as possible. And if you're consistent, then at the end, that will win out. And I think the best thing about being a grandpa is just how they sit in your lap and want you to read a book to them. They think everything you do is awesome and you don't really have to worry about homework or curfews or teaching them good manners and stuff like that. You can kind of do whatever you want, especially when they're young. Oh yeah, that's so fun. (laughs) My dad, whenever I complain about something like that, welcome to being a parent. Glad I don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) I think the really cool thing about it too is when you see them do things your kids did and it's annoying their parents. You just can't help but laugh at that because they're like, that was you, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And uh, you get to see them abuse your your kids and you're like, yep, you're going to pay for your (laughs) way you behaved. That's how your kids are going to behave. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. We have four kids. And I remember my parents, when they blended the family with the four kids, I was used to talk about how difficult it was to have four kids. Now I, I realize I'm not blending a family, but I'm always yeah. like, look at me, I'm doing the four kids thing. And it, and it is challenging. There's special things as far as space and, you know, bathrooms and all of that kind of stuff. But it's really neat because it's a lot of joy. You know, for the most part, it's a lot of joy. They have built in friends and kind of compatriots that they can live life with. And and especially now that they're older, you see them encourage each other or they're, they're friends now more than they are brother, sister, you know, and, and that part's really neat. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. I definitely can't say that I didn't not learn a lot of things because it definitely, definitely opens your eyes. And I think the learning curve, you know, for somebody who has to all of the sudden have new siblings that they have to <laughs> contend with, 
you know, you, you def, there's definitely a lot of blessing and a lot of room for learning there. But where can my listeners find you if they want to learn more, they have more questions about second marriages or blending families together? Where are you at? I'd love to talk about this topic. That's why when I, I found you, I just thought, well, I, I love telling people that there is a way out. There is a way to make it wonderful. It just takes some work and some prep time. But I also have a podcast called Beyond the Rut. And you can go to Beyond the Rut dot com and, and contact me or Jerry, who's a, a co-host with me. And we talk a lot about that. Just people who kind of get beyond that normal everyday thing and, and do extraordinary things. Some people are single moms, single dads, or, you know, disabilities, lost a job or whatever it is that just got themselves out of that. So we try to talk about all of that. Of course, if you're near Corpus Christi, Texas, you can always come to Grace Community Church and, and see me there and or just reach out. I'd, I'd love to talk and help and uh, anything I can do to make families a little stronger. That's just kind of my focus. I would love to see great families raise great kids because regardless of politics or anything else, that will change this country more than anything if we can just rebuild some great families. Well, Brandon, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I appreciate what you're doing in the world and you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Anything I can do for you, just let me know. I just loved this interview with Brandon Cunningham. I thought his attitude about second marriages and especially blending families was so refreshing, especially since I could relate so well to his experience with my own growing up in a blended family. I hope that this episode brought hope and comfort to an otherwise sometimes difficult task. I know for me growing up, we definitely gave our parents a run for their money. And at times they probably felt crazy for trying to blend two families together in the way that they did. But it turned out great for everyone in the end. And Brandon's story is similar. So if you're in the throes of blending a family and you can relate with some of the difficulties and challenges that that can create for both the parents and the children. Take heart and know that you're not alone. There are so many people out there who have survived and have wonderful stories of the blessings and triumphs of doing something so difficult yet so beautiful at the same time. Next week, we'll be talking with some new marriage experts that I am excited to introduce to you. We will be focusing on marriage for a little while longer and then transitioning into health for the new year. So I'm really excited to air some of the episodes I've been doing with some health experts coming up here shortly. But in the meantime, please remember that the Epic Marriage Summit is still available for purchase. You can go to www on the brighter side of marriage.com backslash all access pass to check out all of the incredible things that are included in the all access pass. And until next week, have courage, be kind and stay on the brighter side. <laughs>